Welcome to the Crossing this Super Bowl weekend. Glad that you're here and with us. And I want to look into the camera and welcome our Southeast campus, our microsites, those who are watching online. Can we give them a big hand? Just welcome them to our community here. Glad you're part of the Crossing family. All right, so let's get this out of the way. How many of you are cheering for the Patriots to win today? Okay. Now, how many of you are cheering for who would ever be playing the Patriots or the Eagles? Okay. And how many of you can't wait for opening day of baseball? Okay. That's me right there. Well, my team traded our Pro Bowl quarterback this week. He had the season of his career this year, and they traded him away. And as that happened, I began to want to complain but I remembered our theme verse from last week, which is do everything without grumbling or arguing. And so my buddy at Christmas time, Tex, had given me the jersey of our rookie quarterback, who is now our starting quarterback. So I thought I would wear this for you today. You're welcome. You know, that's, thank you for that golf clap. I appreciate that. Well, to start off today, I want to show you a couple pictures. This first picture here is of the Sea of Galilee. That my wife and I, we lead a trip to Israel every year, and she took this picture this last year, and the Sea of Galilee is just a stunning, beautiful place. On the Sea of Galilee, you'll see people fishing, you'll see boats. I mean, life is happening. And the Sea of Galilee is this body of water where water flows into it, and it flows out of it. It is this living, active water. It is it's just a beautiful place. 87 miles to the south of the Sea of Galilee is another body of water, and it's called the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea actually exists because as the water leaves the Sea of Galilee, it travels down the Jordan River, and it flows into the Dead Sea. But the Dead Sea is dead because water comes in, and it does not go out. It's at the lowest elevation on earth, and so water flows in, and there's no place for it to go. However, the Dead Sea is drying up. Just a few years ago, all of this area right here was underwater, and they are pumping thousands and thousands of gallons of water into the Dead Sea trying to save it, but it keeps getting smaller. And it's ironic because the Sea of Galilee has water coming in and water going out, and it's thriving. But the Sea of Galilee has water flowing in and no water flowing out, and it's shrinking. And that is like our life. That this is the secret of joy, is letting life flow through you. If you don't figure out how to give your life away, you become the Dead Sea. Your soul becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. You're more unhappy without joy. You were designed by God to give your life away, and when you do that, it brings joy. And so we're diving into Philippians chapter 3. We are in week 5 of our More Than Happy series, and it's not that God doesn't want you to be happy. He does, but he has something more for you, and it is joy. And while happiness is based on you and your circumstances, joy is when it is not about you, when you are pouring your life into other people. And what we're going to discover today is of all the things that you thought were important to you, the things that you thought would make you happy are pretty meaningless compared to truly 
knowing Christ. So we're going to jump in. Chapter 3, verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for your soul. The Apostle Paul tells us to rejoice. Now, this doesn't mean you just grin and bear it. This doesn't mean you just put on this fake smile and act like everything's okay when it's really not. He gives us the context, the perspective of joy. He says right here to rejoice, it's one of 16 times that the Apostle Paul will tell us to joy, to have joy or to rejoice in the book of Philippians, but he gives us the perspective, is to rejoice in the Lord, that this is the basis of our joy, that this is where our joy comes from. It comes from the Lord. And he says, I write these same things to you. One of my jobs as a pastor is to remind you of the things that you already know. Tim Coop, who was one of our pastors on staff and he went home to be with the Lord about a year ago, he used to say that most of us don't need to learn new things. We need to be reminded of what we already know. Because here's what happens. When you are going through difficult times in your life, we tend to forget all of those things that we know in our life, and we need to be reminded of them. And the Apostle Paul says, these are a safeguard for you. They are a safeguard for your life. They're a safeguard for your soul. I love how the the book of Hebrews uses this word. It says, is it an anchor for your soul? It's this anchor for your soul. Well, he goes on in verse 2. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Is anyone confused at this point? You're like, dogs, what is he talking about? Because you might be a dog. You might be a dog person. And and you kind of think you like your dog more than you like most people. And so dogs in those days, you just have to understand, were mostly without masters. They were They were dirty scavengers that would roam around. They would eat anything. They would even eat corpses, and they were considered unclean. And dogs is a term that the Jews used as a racial slur to refer to the Gentiles as. Well, the Apostle Paul turns the table on the Jewish extremist. And he uses that word for them. Remember, Paul is writing this new group of Christians in the city of Philippi. This is a Roman city. They are Gentiles. They are these new believers. And what was going on at this time is all the early Christians were Jewish. And there was a group of these early Christians that they viewed Christianity as an extension of Judaism and the Old Testament. See, they begin to teach that you have to become a Jew first before you become a Christian. And this group of people was was known as the Judaizers. They taught that, yes, you needed to believe in Jesus, but it was this Jesus plus because there was these practices from the Old Testament that everybody needed to do. Well, one of these practices was circumcision. And the Gentile men, they are coming to Jesus. The Gentiles are coming to Jesus by the thousands. And these Gentile men are like, well, we love Jesus, but I need to think twice about this whole Christianity thing. (laughs) You see, circumcision was a sign that the nation of Israel belonged to God. For the Jewish people, it was a sign of a covenant. And circumcision in this context that the Apostle Paul is going to talk to us represents the old covenant. And when Jesus came along, he instituted a new covenant. And for the first time, everyone had access to God 
through Jesus. And so Paul calls this group mutilators of the flesh. That is his term. That is not my term. I did not write this. He wrote this. And it's not that Paul was against the procedure of circumcision. He was against this becoming a litmus test for Christianity. And Paul wanted everyone to know, he wanted everyone to understand that salvation comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. See, he spoke to the Galatian church, this church that was in Galatia, and he, the same thing was going on in that church. And here's what he said to them. He says, may I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we, be, we tend to boast about all of these things that we think make us more spiritual. Because we have these benchmarks of what spirituality is. And the Apostle Paul says, may I never boast about any of those things except through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. That all of those things that you used to think were a measure of spirituality, he says, none of those count. The only thing that counts is we are a new creation through Jesus. We're this new creation. But here's where some of us are. See, this is what religion does to us. Because some of us look at it like this. We look at it as Jesus plus blank equals a new creation. And maybe you grew up in a, in a home that you know, was very rigid. And for you, it was Jesus plus rules equals a new creation. Or maybe you grew up in a church where you kind of had to have your whole life together and everything had to be perfect and it was like Jesus plus perfection equals a new creation or Jesus plus good deeds or Jesus plus sobriety equals a new creation. And the problem is, is if we put anything here, this anything becomes our focus and no longer is Jesus our focus. And the Apostle Paul is teaching us it is Jesus plus nothing equals a new creation. It's Jesus plus nothing. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. Salvation comes through Jesus alone. And so he says this in verse 3. He says, for it is we who are the circumcision. In other words, what he's saying is you're accepted by God. You are now part of the insiders. You are this inside group that this other group is talking about. We who serve God by his spirit, because if you're a follower of Jesus, you have God's spirit, you have the Holy Spirit in you, who boast in Christ Jesus. Again, if we're going to boast, it's in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. So what you do on the outside, it doesn't matter. But then I love what he says in this next verse. He says, though I myself have reason for such confidence... If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul says, if anyone wants to compare resumes... I can beat you all day long. If you want to show how good you are compared to how good I was, I'm going to win this every single day. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. What he's saying is, I was born into this. From the time that I was born, I was dedicated to God. Of the people of Israel, I wasn't adopted into this group. 
I've been part of this group since the beginning of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin had a place of honor in Jewish history. Benjamin was one of the tribes that did not rebel. And their first king, the first king of Israel, came from this tribe. And almost certainly, Paul, who used to be Saul, was named after this first king. And so being from the tribe of Benjamin was a big deal. He says a Hebrew of Hebrews, that his mom was a Hebrew, my dad was a Hebrew. Literally, this means we spoke Hebrew in our home, even though we came from a Greek city. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. Now, we think of the Pharisees as the biggest hypocrites of the Bible. These are the bad guys of the Bible. But in that time, they were the spiritual elite, that there was no greater spirituality. There was nobody more spiritual than a Pharisee. They were at the very top. So he says, in regard to law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. Saying, you want to know how passionate I was for the things of God? That I tried to protect our religion by going and persecuting the church. Because before Paul was Paul, he was Saul. And Saul would go into these house churches and he would drag out the Christians. He would have them arrested. He would be giving a stamp of approval on their death. He says, if you think that you're passionate about God, I was more passionate. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. See, the law was all about keeping the commandments. The law was all about doing everything right. And he says, for all of those things, he says, I was faultless. I was faultless, that if anybody could be saved by their own works, it was Saul. And he was saying that I can win any contest. If you want to brag about certain things, I can win any contest all day long, but none of that stuff saved me. For some of you, this is your story. Because what you have tried to do is you have tried to find certain things and you have thought, well, if I can just do this, I will be happy. And so you go and you chase after those things. And you find out when you get there, it just kind of moves forward. That happiness eludes you. Or you have this sense of insecurity. Somebody along the way said, you will never amount to anything. So you spent your entire life trying to be successful, trying to achieve, trying to go after those things. And it just comes up empty because whatever you get to, you just feel like it's never enough. Whatever you accomplish, you just feel like you need to accomplish a little bit more. For some of you, this is your story. You've been chasing after these things. I've been there. And it sucks the joy out of your life. But Paul says this. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. See, Paul is like so many of us, where we thought that our value came from certain stuff, and he says God changed all those things. He goes, all of those things are like garbage. 
This word garbage right here, let me show you what the Greek word is for this. The Greek word for garbage is skubalon. I want you to say this out loud with me. Okay, let's say this together. Skubalon. Okay, so now you know Greek. You can go and brag at the Super Bowl party today that you know a Greek word. This is the only time in the entire Bible that this word appears in the Bible. Some of your translations may translate this instead of garbage, might translate it as rubbish. And that sounds so sophisticated, doesn't it? I mean, if you can just put a British accent to that, you know, I mean, it's just rubbish. You know, I mean, it's, it just sounds so sophisticated. But those are very kind translations. If you are going to translate this word, the actual translation is from scubalon is dung or excrement. If you use the King James, this is actually the word that appears in the King James. But those translations are probably a little too polite as well because they don't capture the passion that the Apostle Paul has. The Apostle Paul is expressing about how he feels about those things that he thought was so valuable. You see, scubalon is really not a church word. It's more of a bumper sticker word. Maybe in Paul's day they had chariots and on the back they had a bumper sticker that said scubalon happens. And Paul is saying, of all the things that I used to chase, of all the stuff that I thought was important, of all the things that I thought made me important, they're just scubalon compared to knowing Jesus. Everything else is garbage. It is rubbish. And here's how he finishes this. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. And participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Christ. This word know right here means to have a personal experience with. This right here, it was a Jewish idiom for intimacy between a husband and a wife. See, you can have knowledge about a person and really not know that person. There is a big difference between knowing things about Jesus and actually knowing Jesus. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of the resurrection. Some of you come in here and you think that you can't change. You know what your past is. You know what you've carried in here. And you think, well, I can just never change. Let me tell you it. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus and you've been baptized, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Paul tells us in the book of Romans that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. You can change. That is the power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection is in you. And so you can overcome those things in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, I want to know the participation in his sufferings. And this is where we go, okay, I'm out. Because I really don't want to suffer. You know, none of us want to suffer. We don't want that. But in this world, you will have trouble. And if you choose to follow Jesus, you will have suffering. But God promises that he will take all of the bad that happens in your life and he will make it good. That the power of God is that he can make all of those things good. See, that's the power of God in our life. And he says, and I want to become like him. It is becoming like Jesus. That's the goal. 
The goal is for you to become like Jesus. And so here is this joy principle for today. This joy principle for today is finding Jesus is important, but knowing Jesus is utterly essential. I have dedicated my life to helping people find Jesus. I've dedicated my life to that. One of the One of our values here at The Crossing is come as you are. Maybe for many of you, you saw that banner in our building, maybe many times that you drove by and you walked in here on your first Sunday just thinking, I wonder if I can really come as I I am. Because you were trying to find Jesus. You were wondering if this could be a safe place for you to take your first steps with God. That I've committed my life to helping find Jesus. But knowing Jesus is what will bring you joy. Let me ask you a question. I want to ask a question of all the married couples in here right now. If you have been married for 25 years or more, I want you to raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Okay. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty cool. So keep those hands up for just a second, as long as this applies to you. Okay. If you've been married 30 years or more, I want you to keep your hand up. 35. 40. 45, 50 or more, 50 or more. Do we have, we have here, here, praise God. Do we have any others? Pretty amazing. I love this. Let me speak to you if you've been married for 10 years or less. All of those hands that went up, that's the goal. You need to get with these older couples and say, how did you do it? What do you have to speak into me? How can... How can we make it? How can we do it? Darla and I, we've been married for 31 years, so we're just halfway to where some of you couples are here today. But have you noticed that when couples have been together a long time, they just start to look like each other? They start to dress like each other? I mean, it's not that they dress in the same clothes. Sometimes they do, but I mean, they just dress in the same kind of clothes. They start to talk like each other. They start to have the same mannerisms. They like the same movies, the same restaurants, the same clothes. They finish each other's sentences. That the longer they're together, they become more and more like each other. See, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. When you truly know Jesus, you become more and more like him. You start to look like him. You start to talk like him. You start to care about the things that he cares about. You start to love like him. You become like Jesus. You become like Jesus. And here's what I want for you. I want you to experience joy. And you need to hear this. Joy increases as you are becoming more like Jesus. I want to say this again. This is so key. Joy increases as you are becoming more like Jesus. And I want to give you a homework assignment today. Instead of you just walking out of here and go, okay, that was a nice talk. I have a Greek word for the Super Bowl party today. I want you to know Jesus, to become like him. And so this week, what I want you to do is I want you to get a piece of paper, and I want you to write down these three things, plus, minus, greater than, less than. If you have a journal, I want you to do this in your journal. And so here's the whole idea. If we're going to become more like Jesus, what do we need to add into our life? What do you need to add into your life? If you're going to become more like Jesus, what do you need to add there? For some of you, 
who are not yet a follower of Jesus, and you keep saying, well, as soon as I get my life together, I'm going to give my life to Jesus, you will never get your life together. For you, it's starting here. It's not just adding. It's just putting in the line. It's Jesus. It's Jesus alone. For others of you, it's subtracting. What do you need to totally eliminate in your life to become more like Jesus? And I want to spend just a moment here because for some of you, this is a name. Or you need to write down some initials because you have people in your life who love you who keep saying you need to not be around this person because they don't bring the best in you. And matter of fact, they bring bad things out of you. They bring destruction out of you. You need to get rid of that. For some of you, it's a habit. You need to write your habit right here. And here's the lie that you've told yourself. You tell yourself, well, I can stop anytime I want, but you haven't. And so for you, it needs to be this right here because it is robbing you of the joy that God has for you. Next is what do I need to amplify in my life? What do I need to increase? Maybe it's my time with God. Maybe it's just reading my Bible. It's making a commitment to say, I'm going to be in God's word every day, just a chapter a day. Where do we start? Start with Philippians. Start right where we are. Just a, a chapter a day. What do I need to increase in my life? And then what do I need to dial down? What do I need less than? It's not that you need to get rid of these things altogether. You don't need to throw out your TV. You just maybe need to dial down Netflix just a little bit. You don't need to throw out your golf clubs. It's just you need less of that. You know, that's easy for me to say because I don't play golf. Now, I don't have any hobbies. My only hobby is just being with you. That's just, that's just my hobby. For those of you who are in a small group, I want you to talk about this this week. And I want you to begin to share what this is for you, what you need to take out of your life, what you need to, to increase, what you need to decrease in your life so that you can become more like Jesus because that's the goal. That is the goal, and that is when joy increases in our life. I love this quote from David Benner. David says, everything that is false about us arises from our belief that our deepest happiness will come from living life our way, not God's way. Because we, we believe this lie that says, well, if I just do it my way, that's going to bring happiness. He says, although we may say we want to trust God and surrender to his will, deep down we doubt that God is really capable of securing our happiness. For some of you, you're just, you're holding on. And it's not bringing the life that you want. When we know Jesus, when we truly know Jesus, it changes everything. See, when you know Jesus, you don't exclude him from anything. We tend to compartmentalize our life. Us guys especially do this because we think, okay, this is my home life and this is my work life and this is my church life. But as we become more like Jesus, we include Jesus in every part of our life. We include Jesus in all of our moments. I am just fully convinced that there is nothing in this life compared to knowing Jesus. I'm convinced. And I want to pray with you. But here's what I want to challenge you to do as we pray. Maybe it's just beginning to do some business with God and just saying, okay, God, here's what I need to, 
Here's what I need to eliminate in my life. God, I need the power of Jesus. I need the power of the resurrection to help me finally rid this out of my life. That there are some things that I need to increase. God, help me to have the discipline, the passion to be with you every day. Maybe to turn down some things in my life. I, it's a great thing. I just don't need as much of it. And for you to begin to say, okay, God, I, I hear you. You're speaking to me. This is what I need to do. For some of you, you are ready to become a follower of Jesus. Let me tell you, salvation comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. That you can start a relationship with Jesus today. So I want you to pray with me. And we're just going to go to God and just ask God just to meet us right here. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his death on the cross. And God, our desire is to know him. To know the power of the resurrection, to share in his sufferings, become like him. God, the truth is for everybody in this room, we need to do some work so that we can become more like Jesus so that we look like him and we talk like him and we act like him and we care about the things that he cares about and we love the people that he loves. So do that work in us. God, I pray right now for those in this room who are ready to take a first step with Jesus to make, to make him their Lord and their Savior, that they would have courage to take this next step. And so we pray this. In the significant name of Jesus, amen.